Thank you for that warm welcome this morning. Uh, it is true, I was young and now I am old. <laughs> but uh, that's that's life, and it's a it's been proven scientifically that the more birthdays you have, the older you get. So um, that's what happens. Anyway, as uh, Brandon was saying earlier, that I met your pastor when he was um, 12 years of age. I made a trip to West Virginia to uh, do a rally tour, a youth rally tour. And uh, the youth director there, which was a woman, um, asked him to... Uh, ride along with us in each to each of the um, places that that we would minister, and so Josh and I sat in the back seat together, and he was just a young young boy pursuing ministry, and it was a it was a joy to get to know him then, um, and of course I've had the privilege of throughout the years watching him uh, mature into a great man of God, um, as well as I know that you experience that on a weekly basis, uh, hearing the Word of God come out of his mouth. He is an anointed man of God. And so I, I feel very humbled and honored this morning to be able to fill his pulpit in his absence. My dad always said, who was a pastor all of my life, uh, he always said, I don't give up my pulpit for just anyone. And um, so anytime a pastor asks me to fill the pulpit, I feel very, very, very honored. I'm going to get right into the Word of God this morning. And I don't know, I know how your pastor, um, I know his delivery style, I've been around him for a while and all, um, and I'll, I'll just be up front with you, I don't know how this is going to work this morning, because the last couple of weeks... The Lord has been pursuing my mind to a particular thought, and I am not, um, I, I don't preach on a regular basis anymore, so when I have these God thoughts, I usually just kind of think on them, I just kind of push them a little bit aside because it's like, um, I'm not going to be delivering this anytime soon, so this is what I'll do, I'll just contemplating it contemplate the Word of God and the, the words that He speaks to my heart, and I'll just hide them away there um, for, for whatever reason. It may be just for me. But the thought of pursuing the anointing of God has been very strong on my heart now for about two weeks, having no idea that this past Tuesday evening your pastor would call and say, listen, I'm going to be away. Will you uh, fill the pulpit for me. And so with that, um, then I started in a scramble trying to pull together two weeks of thoughts, writing things down as they came back to me, and then uh, finally putting it together in some sort of simulance. But I want you to know that the Word of God is for a reason and a purpose. God never, never puts a word out there that it comes back with no purpose. The scripture says it this way in the book of, or in, in the Bible, King James Version, if I can use it that way. He says, My word will not return void, it will always accomplish, it, accomplish what he pleases, 
and it will always prosper in the thing whereto it is sent. Literally what that means, the Word of God is never spoken that it goes out and it just goes out into the atmosphere without any result. God's got a purpose. So I have to believe this morning that there is a purpose for the last two weeks God pouring something into me and then this week um, having the opportunity for that to come together for, for a delivery. So the Word of God is very important. Pursuing the anointing does not and is not reserved for just a preacher. <laughs> Do you amen in this church? If you don't, I'm going to preach anyway. So, Pursuing the anointing is not reserved for just a preacher or a minister. We should all be pursuing the Spirit of God. So that's kind of interchangeable if you'll keep that in your heart and mind. And if you don't mind, I have, I'm recovering from a cold, so you'll want to be sure and disinfect the mic. I may have to take some sips here and there, okay? For, for us to, to look at the anointing or pursuing the anointing, we would also be saying that we are pursuing the Spirit of God resting on us or abiding in us. Not just so that we can speak in a tongue. Not just so that we can prophesy. Not just so that we can do the works of Him that sent us. But literally, the, the pursuing of the anointing is so that we are a resident of the Spirit of God in this world. Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You must know that God pursues you for a place to dwell. But in order for Him to dwell in you, there must be a pursuing of God on your part. And as you pursue God on your part, when the Spirit and when the anointing dwells on the inside, then that anointing is used for purpose or has purpose that you might worship Him in spirit and in truth. That you might speak words at a given time in the right place, a word fitly spoken in due season, that you may be ready to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, that you may prophesy, that you may give a word in tongues, and that you may interpret that tongue, that you may have faith to move mountains. Are you getting this yet? The, the pursuit of the anointing is not reserved for just a preacher. Every one of us here this morning should be pursuing the anointing of God. I'm going to be reading from um, 2 Kings chapter 2 if you want to open up the Word of God there. We'll get there here real quick. Because I'm going to share with you about 
a man who pursued the anointing, I mean, you will see that he pursued the anointing. He went after it. Nothing stopped him. Nothing was going to distract him. He pursued the anointing. I want you to understand that the, the laying on of hands in the, um, in the Old Testament in particular, and then we see it uh, in a different light in the New Covenant or in the New Testament, we see where the laying on of hands or the transferring of anointing um, is very significant. It's very, very important. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was, um, it was visible or vis a visual when the dying father lays his hands upon the eldest son. You will remember in Genesis chapter 25, verse uh, number 5, that it states that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And I'm sorry if my voice is going to be hard on your ears, but it is what it is. Isaac, or Abraham, is passing from this life, and so he calls in his son, Isaac, and he brings him in and he says, I, I'm going to lay my hand on you and I'm going to transfer my wealth. Everything that I own is yours. If you read on into that story, you will find out that after Isaac was born, and you remember that uh, Abraham's wife Sarah was 92 years old, by the time that she has Isaac. Can you imagine? 92. I can't even imagine that because I am 60 and when my grandkids come around for one day, I'm ready to say, go away. You know, I love you, but go home because I, you're wearing me out. 92 years old by the time that she bears one child to Abraham. But the scripture says that after that, Abraham married other wives and had concubines and had multiple sons and daughters. And those sons and daughters were not as important as the firstborn Isaac was to Abraham. The scripture says that he just parted them with gifts. There's something very significant about the father his blessing, his laying hands, and the transfer of wealth to the eldest son. You'll go on to see that later on, Isaac himself brings in um, Jacob. It was by deceit. Is anybody caught up on all this Bible stuff yourself? Because I'm trying to, this is all introduction, and I'm trying to hurry, okay? He brings in or, or uh, his mother, Rachel, and Jacob deceive Isaac, who is blind, and Esau was the rightful heir to the blessing. But because uh, uh, Isaac had sent Esau out, who was a hunter, a man's man, a hairy man, sends him out to get venison, during that time, Rachel and Jacob deceive and connive a plan to deceive Isaac, and they bring Jacob, the younger brother, 
in and he receives the blessing that was rightfully Esau's. Now you say, well, when the father found out, why didn't they just, he just say, well, I made a mistake and you don't get it and whatever. The fact of it was, was the laying on of hands and the transferring of that wealth right at that moment, even in deception, it was a binding thing. Legally binding thing. So Esau and Jacob are now pretty upset with each other, to say the less. Esau being very angry at his brother. Jacob now has to run from his home, and everything that Isaac had left for him, he has to leave it because Esau, his brother, is now in hot pursuit because he wants his blessing. If he kills Jacob the blessing automatically will transfer. you got to get all of this because what I'm about to tell you this morning is important. So, you remember this significance. The change, of course, comes about in an entire nation when Jacob is finding a place to rest, taking his family literally a nomad, can't find a place to rest because Esau is in hot pursuit on his tail all the time. And so what happens is Jacob comes to a place where he rests for a little while, he leaves his family, and he goes on a little further and he finds a rock, he lays his head upon it, and he goes to sleep, and that night he dreams a dream. It was a God dream. But this was a significant moment because in that moment when he has this dream that a ladder is let down out of heaven and an angel or a man, the scripture says, comes down and he's, he watches his angels go up and down the ladder. He communicates with a man, most believe, that it was the Christ. He's there. And he begins to tell Jacob, he says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but it will be called Israel. Israel, you should know that out of you is going to be the fulfillment of Abraham, your grandfather, whom I said I would make of him a great nation. Now I'm telling you that now all of the nations of the world will be blessed. All of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God right then transfers or ordains or anoints Israel with the blessing of not only his father, but the blessing of God Almighty. Why is that significant? The passing of that anointing is very, very significant to what happens in the scripture that I'm about to read to you and share with you this morning. If you will go with me, first of all, to 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures there to get you up to chapter 2 of 2 Kings. Here we go. Verse number 15. And the Lord, this is God talking to Elijah, and the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael, 
to be king over, uh, over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Now listen. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. There's three anointings. King, king, and prophet. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all of the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he dropped thence and found, or excuse me, departed thence, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and, uh, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was the twelfth with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my mother, my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, Elijah speaking, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled the flesh of the, and the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Something very significant, very significant. He cast his mantle, his cloak upon Elisha. The visual sign of God anointing Elisha to be the successor of Elijah. Understand the Father's blessing, if you'll connect these two right now. It's very important. Because when the Father gives His blessing, He is bestowing everything that He has to the Son. When Elijah comes by and he doesn't even talk to Elisha, he just throws his mantle over his shoulder and keeps walking. It is significant because what Elijah was saying was, all that I have in anointing and purpose and as a prophet of Israel, I am now putting bestowing, laying on you. Wow. If you have not read the Acts and the ministry of Elijah, you need to go back and read this after service. Because this is no small thing that has happened. This is nothing insignificant. This is nothing like, oh, Elijah got a, or Elisha got a new coat. This is the transfer of the anointing of God upon a new person. Elisha looks at him and he says, let me go and let me kiss my father and mother. Let me say my goodbyes. 
Listen to what Elisha says in, in another translation. I'll give it to you because it has great significance here. It says, just go back, Elijah says. Go ahead and do what you want to do. But he says, think about what I just did for you. While you're on your way to say your goodbyes. While you're on your way to go back to what you know is comfortable and what you know is easy and what you know is familiar to you. Before you go back there or while you're going back there, I want you to think about what just happened to you. I just threw the anointing of Almighty God on your shoulders. I have just laid my hands and I have anointed you. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9 verse number 16 or 62 rather no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's amazing when you read New Testament and when you see and hear the words of Jesus, you will often find that he goes back into the old covenant and he really nails down something here. What Jesus was referring to, no doubt in his mind, was this significant moment that as Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, you've got to get ready for this, there's coming a time when he says, I'm going to be taken from you. I am no longer going to be in this world. But what I'm going to do is I am going to pray the Father that he would send you another comforter which is the Holy Ghost. He shall not just abide with you, but He shall be in you. There's coming a time when all that I do, greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. It's like a double portion. You'll get that in a minute. <laughs> I am going to transfer my anointing. When I see you, Peter, and I called you from your fishing net, it wasn't by accident. I wasn't just looking for a guy saying, okay, I'll take a fisherman. I'll take a physician. I'll take this person. I'll take that person. I'll take a, a, a money changer. Huh? He handpicked them. And as he was handpicking them, he knew that there was going to be a moment, Matt, when he would be ascending up into the clouds. And that anointing that he had, not many days after that, 50 days after that, that time, that there would be an anointing that would come. If you might say the transfer of anointing, the mantle of God would fall on them in the day of, on the day of Pentecost. And the anointing would forever be in their life to do the work of God. So 2 Kings, okay, what time does pastor usually let you out? Right at 12, I'll bet. Right around 12? Thanks, I shouldn't ask. <laughs> I'll try to finish this up then in less than 20 minutes. 2 Kings, 
And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I think they'll have that up for you this morning. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a world when Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, you stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Now, Bethel is very significant. This is where it all began. Because you remember in Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, the latter experience of Israel, when God changed Jacob to name from, from Jacob to Israel, you remember that at that moment, that place was called Luz. The word Luz means twisted he was in a twisted place Jacob was but he has this encounter with the son of God he has this encounter and there is a transfer of blessing upon um, Jacob's life or Israel's life at that point and when Israel gets up after this experience, he goes and he piles up some stones. And what does he say? This place shall no longer be twisted, but it will be called Bethel, the place where God is. If you just read the Word of God and just you know, do this thing of, I read 50 scripture this week, God's pleased with me. You're missing it, folks. All of this has come together. All of this is written for a purpose. It is written there for our admonition. It is written there to teach us something. So Elijah says, I've been told by the Lord to go to Bethel. Why is there such a significance? Why is it so important? Because Bethel was a twist i mean uh, luz was a twisted place but god said i've not an, i've not just anointed you but this place from now on is going to be very significant why because in the midst of a twisted perverse place god reminds us yet i have left me 7000 in israel all the knees which have not bowed to baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. Bethel, a place where there was a school of prophets. Is it coming together? Am I not explaining it good? A place where there is a school of prophets. And Elijah, in his moment of discouragement, in his moment of, of distress, in his moment of saying, God, what am I going to do? God says, get up, go anoint some people. And he says, and understand this, Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 prophets that have never bowed to Baal. They have never kissed Baal. They have never bowed their knee to anybody. They serve me. I have anointed them. They hear me. And where does God say, Elijah, get up and go to? Go to Bethel. And Elijah, Elisha replies, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they... 
they went down together to Bethel. Once Elisha accepted the call, there was no looking back. Elisha should have said, okay, whatever you say, pastor, I'll just sit right here until you come back. He couldn't. Because there was something very significant that you're about to hear about that was about to happen. And he says, oh no, Elijah, you put your mantle on me. You laid your hands on me. You anointed me. You're not going anywhere without me. (laughs) And when you are in pursuit of the anointing, there may come distractions. There may come temptations that will Try to take you away from your anointing. Take you away from your pursuit of the anointing. Take you away from your call. Take you off course. But your persistence will cause you to stay the course. I'm telling you, the anointing is not just for preachers. When you are in your home and you're just walking around, and you're singing some worship song, and then all of a sudden some thought comes through your head and interrupts. You know where I get some of my best thinking done? While I'm mowing the yard. It's a good thing I don't have a riding lawnmower because I wouldn't think too much. But I have a push mower, and it takes me forever in the humid weather to mow my yard, but I think while I push that mower. And there's times when I, like just yesterday, this was a great example. I was mowing along and I was saying, God, tomorrow, you know, God, I have an opportunity to share thoughts and to to share with a, a, in in a church where there's a man of God who I know his, his delivery style, he's a preacher, he's an anointed preacher. And Lord, here I am and I, I, God, I just got to have your thoughts. I just got to have your thoughts. Squirrel! Yeah, all of a sudden I start thinking about something else. And I find myself about four or five crosses across the yard. I'm thinking of something else. And then all of a sudden I stop and I go, how did that happen? How did my mind get off of my God thoughts? There will always be distractions. You're singing that song. You're worshiping the Lord in your spirit. You're singing that chorus and then all of a sudden, squirrel, and you go off. There will always be opportunities. The devil will do everything he can to distract you from your course. But when you say, wait a minute, enough, I'm going back to, I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I'm telling you, my friend, it's in those moments that you're saying, I am going to pursue the anointing. I'm not going to let distractions catch me. I'm not going to let the gossip of the church. I'm not going to let the gossip of the neighborhood. I'm not going to let that person that just gets under my skin cause me to miss out on what God has for me. What God is wanting to do in me and through me. So the group of prophets from Bethel, remember there's a school of prophets there. The group of prophets from Bethel comes to Elisha and he asks him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away today? Of course I know that, Elisha said. 
Now you know why Elisha was pursuing. If he's going away, I've got something. I've got a motive. You'll find out that motive. I am not going to let him out of my sight. There is a method to my madness. I have been anointed, but I'm not happy with just what I've got. I want more. Anybody here feel that? (laughs) You can be so happy with what you got, you miss out on so much more than what God has for you. You've got to pursue. You've got to go after it. You've got to let earthly distractions fall aside. So he says, I know that God is going to take my master away from me. I know that. You just keep your mouth shut. A school of prophets in Bethel. Imagine that. Still. How did they know? This this really intrigues me. You study the Bible your way. I'll study it mine. I thought, how in the world did those prophets know that Elijah was going to be taken away? Well, if they're true prophets... If they're true prophets, do you think they heard from God themselves? Some say, some theologians say, well, what it was was Elijah began to broadcast and put the word out there that on a certain day he was going to be taken up into heaven. I don't believe that for one one bit. I believe that when you are pursuing anointing, God will speak things to you that you'll say, where did that come from? This past week, we, were, we laid a dear saint of God, a, a preacher of the gospel, for 70 years. We laid her to rest. It was just about a week and a half ago, or, or no, excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, that I was called to her residence, and she said, come over, i got to tell you something. And as I got over there, I said, what's going on? And she looked at me and she said, I was getting out of the car today, Now, she's in fairly good health at this point. Not, I mean, almost 94, what do you expect? She goes, I was getting out of the car today, and distinctly the voice audibly said to me, it won't be long now. And she says, Reggie, I'm getting ready to leave this planet. I looked at her and I said, well, you know, I mean, what do you say, yay? No, well now don't push things, sister. You don't have to get in a rush. But I couldn't even say that. I had to look at her and I said, as I was fighting tears, I said, sis, that's the greatest news that you could hear. And she goes, oh, I know it. The family's standing around me thinking, talk her out of it. And it's like, no, I can't. If it was God that spoke it to this prophet, then who am I to say, oh, it wasn't God. There's going to be times when you're pursuing... Man, I'm starting to feel this. There's going to be times when you are pursuing the anointing of God that don't think it's strange when all of a sudden you hear a voice that is as audible to you and you'll look around and say, huh? Who's out there? (laughs) There will be times when you, if you are pursuing the anointing of God, that you'll have a God thought that you are sure you could not have thought of that on your own. I think of the angel visiting Mary. 
when he was telling her that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you are going to conceive of the Holy Ghost a child? What does the scripture say? The scripture said she went out and she became a preacher and she wrote books. The scripture said she kept those things and she pondered them in her own heart and mind. She knew it was God. And she knew that there was coming a day when she could actually be stoned to death. But if it was God who really said it, then God would bring it to pass. Don't be afraid, my friend, when you are pursuing the anointing of God, when you're pursuing the presence of God, when you're pursuing the Spirit of God living and dwelling in you as He wants to, then, friend, there's going to be some experiences for you. i got to go someplace. True prophets anointed by God hear directly from God. (laughs) Not books. They don't try to piggyback off of somebody else's prophecy. They don't try to preach somebody else's word. They hear it directly from God. Then Elijah and Elisha said, Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as sure as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on to, to Jericho. It happens all over again. The prophets there of the 7,000 that God said I still have, they said, don't you know? And he, they, he said, yes, I know that, but keep quiet. Then Elijah said, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. The persistence reminds me of Jacob who wrestled with the Lord in Genesis chapter 32 when he said, I will not let you go. Until you bless me. I don't know if I'm getting the message through or not, but I will say this. It's that kind of persistence that the Lord will honor. If you are a fly-by-night, if you just like the good feeling and the goosebumps on Sunday morning during worship or during an altar call, if you like just coming and crying and snotting all over the front and then say, wow, that was good, but you go home the same pattern of life, the same person that you were when you came in, friend, you're not pursuing. You are not pursuing the anointing. When you pursue the anointing, you will find yourself hanging on and you'll be saying, God, I can't feel anything. God, I can't feel anything. I can't hear from you anymore. God, God, what is wrong with me? I will not let go, God, until I feel you again. Until I'm anointed again. Until I feel your spirit again. I will not let go. Skip, skip. Fifty men from the group of the prophets also went. When he gets to The River Jordan, and I've got to skip because i got two minutes. You didn't know that, but I just told you. They get to the River Jordan. Elijah pulls off his cloak. 
the same cloak that he had put on Elisha's shoulders, signifying the anointing of God, the presence of God, the power of God. And he takes it and he folds it and he strikes the Jordan River. And the scripture says that it stopped its flow, it dried up, there was a path made in the river. This is not Shoal Creek. This is like a lake. And the scripture says they went to the other side. Elisha pursuing that. There are participants and there are spectators. I'll leave you to answer what you are. Fifty men from the group of the prophets also went and they watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folds his cloak. He He strikes the water. The river is divided and the two of them cross over. There was 50 prophets of God that were willing to just stay in their present anointing and look and watch what was going on from a distance. I dare to say this morning, we have too many people that are willing to watch spectators They go to church to see what's going to happen instead of being there to be involved in the action. They live their lives to say, I'm a Christian. I go to Christ's point. I do this. And yes, I teach class. I'm the worship leader or whatever. But what are they outside of the church when all of a sudden they come across the lame, the blind, the halt? Huh? What are they? Are, is, there, is there a closest, is there a, pursue, a pursuing of the anointing? Is there a pursuing of the anointing that they would say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, take up thy bed and walk. The anointing is not supposed to be used in the sanctuary. It's supposed to be used on the street. Hello? (laughs) Was it the old Spurgeon said? You set a church on fire and and the neighborhood will come out and watch it burn? An analogy of when the church pursues anointing, when people in the church pursue anointing, you don't have to worry about, I would like to have souls saved. Y'all bring your friends. No, because the anointing will be out in the street and there will be changes happening there which will cause people to come together for corporate worship. The rich young ruler was willing to be a spectator, not a participant. What do I have to do? 
to be your disciple. Oh, Lord, what do I have to do? Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Come on with me. But he was willing to be a spectator because he had, he had already, he had already you know, kept the, the commandments from his youth up. He was already a follower of Christ. He just wanted on the in crowd. He wanted to do things. But when it took some getting rid of self, the anointing wasn't that important. Things were. If you are going to see what Elisha saw, you've got to leave your comfort zone and pursue anointing. So Elijah says to Elisha, and I'll try to close it up, what is it that you want from me? This is my space. Back off, Jack. Everywhere Elijah went, it was like if Elijah stopped, Elijah got bumped because Elisha was walking that close to him. Scripture said they were walking side by side. And the Scripture says that Elisha says, all I want is this, that when you are taken away, I want a double portion of what you have. What did Elijah say? He said, oh, you're asking a hard thing, a difficult thing. I don't know if Elisha understood the significance of those words of Elijah. Because if he was to do double the miracles that Elijah did, and he did, double portion, then Elisha may also have to endure double the hardship. He may have to also endure double the pain, double the difficulties. But nonetheless, he said, I want your anointing but I don't want just your anointing. I want more. And Elijah said this. He said, if you're present with me when the Lord takes me out, he said, and you see me, go. Then he said, I'll grant it. But if you are not with me, it will not be, it will not be so. So they're walking together very close. And the scripture said, that a chariot of fire and a chariot of horses came down. Now, they're walking next to each other. The Scripture says it came in and divided them. When you're walking that close and the Lord comes and the anointing's about to come and it, you are walking so close, but the Spirit of the Lord comes in even closer to divide you, that's close. If you see it, Elisha, it's granted to you. And Elisha could not help but see as the chariot of fire swoops up his master, Elijah, and he watches him as he goes into the heavens out of sight. 
The scripture said, and I'm just going to go fast. The scripture says that he looks down and he sees the mantle on the ground. And he picks it up. The scripture does not say that he stood there and, Oh, Elijah, come back, come back, come back. Aren't we guilty of that? We see a saint of God, a, a, a powerful person of God go up into heaven through death and we just stand there and grieve saying, oh, please come back, please come back. I don't want you back. I want what you got to come on me. <laughs> Do you think that last week that when my dear friend and sister passed, I grieved as one who had no hope, no. I went over and I laid my hands on her. I said nothing to anybody, not the family, nobody. I said, mm, sister, pass it on. I want what you got. I want a double portion. Pursue the anointing. Pursue the power. Paul said, I didn't come to you in words and deeds. He said, I came in to you in the demonstration of the power and of the Spirit. He was anointed. Elijah was anointed. And I'm just going to stop. I want to say this significantly. This, this was one thing that the Lord embedded on my thoughts this week. In the last couple of weeks, actually. And it was this, Elijah's mantle fell to the ground and Elisha picked it up. That took effort on Elisha's part. You have to pursue. He could have said, I saw it, I'm going. No, he said, this is what I wanted. And he picks up the mantle. And he then pursues to follow after God. And this thought got embedded on my brain, Matt. He said, Reggie, you don't even have to let the mantle hit the ground. Don't let the mantle hit the ground. Catch it while it's still coming down.